ver, or chapter 5, verse 1 starts off um, with another therefore, right? What's it there for? What, do you remember what we just talked about last week before we closed? And you're all quickly reading. <laughs> so we'll just read together. Let's read 19. Therefore, let those also who suffer according to the will of God entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. So remember, we, we were talking about suffering a little bit, right? Doing what is right, um, that there, we all will have that type of suffering. We all will go through things. Um, and in the same way that we share back, back in 13, to the, degree, to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing. And so he's encouraging them that, you know what, you will face these trials in life, um, but you also will be able to reveal, I'm sorry, to share in that glory in the end as well. And so he goes right in here in verse 1. He says, I exhort the elders among you. Who are the elders that he's talking about? Yes, an elder was someone that um, had more knowledge in teaching and things like that, like Sherry said. Um, Generally here, the elder that is being spoken of is a pastor that teaches, okay? Um, But an elder in a church can be anyone, regardless of age, because um, Peter was probably the only one over 20 years old right now. So they're all young. You know, you think of Timothy and how young he was and, and such. Um, and they had obviously would have had parishioners in their church that were older than them. But it was a respect um, thing based on the knowledge, right? Based on knowledge. of, You know, some of you may be older than Pastor Jim or whoever your pastor is, you know. And um, it is not about what we like in the world to call elders, we always think of the oldest guy's got the most wisdom, right? Um, And there are different types of wisdom, sure, right? But when it came to scripture and teaching, he was saying, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder. You know, Peter, he has been elevated um, in some circles is that he was some type of pope or, you know, he was over... And he did not see himself in that way. He saw himself as a fellow elder. He was right there in the trenches with them, even though he made disciple others. Um, But we see that in that same pattern, even in our churches, right? You know, where um, the men disciple the younger or the women disciple the younger, right? Um, So he says... As your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Now, we understand the sufferings of Christ and him being a witness because we know that during that time he denied Jesus three times, right? Do you know what he's referring to, though, about the being a partaker of the glory that is to be revealed? You know what he's referring to there? Who is what? Um, so what he's talking about is um, 
Do you remember the Mount of Transfiguration and where Jesus was seen with glory? That's what he's talking about. He's like, I not only seen Jesus suffer and die, I've seen the glory of Jesus. Um, and he says, shepherd the flock. Now, when, when I think of things in my life, when I'm talking you know, to you guys or to other people, I generally use a lot of life experience. Do you? Because that's what we really can draw from, right? That's kind of, we always say, you know, I'm sorry that happened to you. You now have a ministry, <laughs> you know, because um, usually that's what God uses in our lives. And Peter, uh, we could say the same thing. Peter liked to talk out of his example, you know, out of things that he had um, dealt with. And so when he... Um, when he is talking about these verses right here, we could go back to John 21. And you remember there where he said, you know, Jesus was saying to him, do you love me? And he said, yes, then feed my lambs. No, and then he asked him the same question again. Do you love me? And he says, yes, then tend my sheep. So he gave him two directives there, you know, feed the lamb, tend or lead my sheep, right? And so he's taking that same life experience, the same lesson that he was given from above, and he's passing it down here. And he's saying, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. Not nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. What are some of the directives that you see in those two verses? To not be a dictator. Don't be a dictator. Mm-hmm. And to lead by example. Follow me. Yeah, be an example. Mm-hmm. Not doing it for money. Not doing it for money? Mm-hmm. Regrettingly, right? Or obligate, oblig, say it for me. Oblige, obligatory, or however you say that word. Yeah, not out of obligation. Obligatory. Obligatory, thank you. <laughs> and um, yeah, but all of those things. Now, we don't like to think, um, hey, come follow me, right? I know, I, ooh, I don't like that. Um, but we do see that practically in that Paul said that, right? Follow me as I follow Jesus, right? And so Peter is just saying this in another way. You need to be an example. As you are following God, others are following you. Um, And not lording it over. Have you ever been in a church where the pastor was a little high on his authority? It's very uncomfortable, it is. Yeah. It is it's very uncomfortable. It seems to be there's a way for a pastor to have authority. Be the authority. Be the spiritual leader without right. being hanging over you, you know? <laughs> yeah. I don't know how bad, better to say it, but yeah. I've, I've recently experienced it a little bit, and I'm like, hmm. Yeah. How can I say something that will get him to see that he's... He's being a little heavy-handed. Is yeah. that a good word, heavy-handed? Yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. I think it's a lack of humility. Yes. I do think that, and I think that's exactly what, um, you know, Peter's going to go on to talk a lot about humility here and that pride gets in the way. Um, 
you know, Second Timothy four two says, you know, basically that they're not to be timid, and and that is to in the arena of if someone is speaking falsehood in their midst, or if there's sin that needs to be addressed, that they're not shying away from it. Um, but there's never a um, get them in line, authoritative kind of um, attitude that is supposed to be there. Because when we look at Jesus as an example, so to speak, um, what do we see Jesus as an example doing as a leader? Do you remember in the upper room how what Jesus was doing? Washing their feet, right? He was a, a humble servant. He was not saying, wash my feet, right? Um, and so we do get this picture of humility um, being a picture of, of totally of service, right? And that there is no job scrubbing the toilets or otherwise that is beneath me, right? And, and that, that is not just for the pastor. These things apply to you and I, right? That there's not, if we have to sit in the seat we don't want to sit, we sit in the seat we don't want to sit. If we're left with taking out the garbage, we take out the garbage, you know? Whatever it may be, um, that there is this humbleness to us and that we do it. Remember we talked about in the last chapter, um, not being hospitable and grumbling in our hearts. It is the same kind of thing here in service. It's not serving and yet grumbling in our heart at the same time, right? Um, and then he says, and when the chief, chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Wow. Unfading crown of glory. Now, my understanding is we won't keep any of these crowns when we throw them before Jesus, right? Mm -hmm. But wouldn't it be nice to have one to throw? Kind of like a little bonus, right? Mm -hmm. Right? <laughs> I mean, some of us will be fine just to get in the back door, you know? <laughs> we don't care. We'll just be... <laughs> but, you know, uh, I almost think that there are some things in Scripture where, where Paul and even Peter here um, talking about over and over again these different crowns, the different rewards that we will receive. And I think we don't concentrate enough on how well we serve. I don't think I concentrate enough on am I running for that prize or am I just existing and hoping I'm not a horrible example, right? There is a higher standard that we could seek to have for ourselves. Not, not me having a higher standard for you, but me having a higher standard for me, right? Um, and I do feel like that's what Paul and Peter both try to call us to, is to understand what our reach is beyond ourselves and how people are looking at us our example does matter. And um, we often like to hold up people like the pastor and expect them to be perfect, right? And there is no man that is perfect. 
In fact, even though he is called the shepherd, he's still answering to the chief shepherd. And his job as shepherd is to say, don't look at me, look at him, right? And so that's where humility really has to be important, right? Is that you don't want someone looking to you to be the person or the savior, right? You want to just keep pointing it back. And part of that is saying, you know, by my example, here's how I've messed up and here's how Jesus has shown grace and you can have that same grace, right? And he, and he goes on to say, you younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another for God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. So I think that I have been guilty of coming in thinking I know the answers over things and not being humble enough to listen that someone else might have more life experience or someone might have more knowledge of Scripture, especially when it comes in the realm of maybe Scripture knowledge, where I think I've got the all the answers on something, and then someone opens the door and and shows me what I hadn't seen before. And then I feel like a huge dummy, right? And so part of humility is saying, you know, we have a, a Bible study that my husband and I attend, and it's one of those kind of geeky Bible studies where we, <laughs> where we all, you know, sit around and really pour into it, and um, we'll have discussions about it. And if, you know, there was a topic that we were discussing, and... Um, I didn't agree with one guy. And he said, well, then I tell you what, you go research it and bring it back. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I went and I researched it. And I realized um, I wasn't entirely wrong, but there was a whole lot more to it that I could have brought to the table because of the knowledge, right? That maybe neither one of us had before that. And... That's humility, though, which I did not have in the, in the beginning, let me say, as I thought I just had the right answer. Um, but humility is being teachable, isn't it? And, um, and so then I, I brought this answer back, and then I said, well, now if you don't like my answer, I challenge you, you have to write a paper and bring it back. <laughs> but you know what? We're friends, and we can do that with each other, but... Um, but when you're, when you're not friends with somebody and they don't get you, have you ever been around that kind of person? Man, that's a turnoff, isn't it? I don't care if you have all of the knowledge. If you don't have love, you're a sounding gong, right? Mm-hmm. Right? And so I, I don't flock to people who think they know it all. Yeah, I don't like that. Um, there's no humbleness involved there, right? Pride is ugly, Pride is ugly. Um, And so being subject to your elders is also understanding there is still more for us to learn, right? I don't care how old you are. I don't care how long you've been saved. There is still more for us to learn. This, This book, this scripture is so rich. It is the reason why we can read the same passage over and over and over again and still get something new out of it right? Because God's word is living and breathing. It's alive, right? So clothe yourselves 
in humility toward one another. For God is opposed to the proud. He's opposed to what? The proud. What does he give to the humble? Grace. What? No, 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 no. Last, in, at the end of five. I'm sorry. We're at the end of five. He opposes the proud and he gives grace to the humble. I need some grace. I don't. Do you need some grace? <laughs> so, so I, I really would like to have grace in a way that I don't have to come um, begging for mercy because I was so prideful to begin with, right? I'd like to just hang out in the humble grace camp. And so we need to be taught that. We need to be teachable in that. Um, I came across uh, someone had said, you know, you need to consider not only how you lead, but how you follow. I thought it was very profound, isn't it? Because so many times we are looking at how we're leading those maybe under us. Maybe it's our children, our grandchildren, you know, someone in a Bible study, someone in our family, someone at work, however we're leading um, people, but we're not looking um, on how well we're following. And what I mean by that is, you know, Timothy talks about, you know, you need to be mentored and you need to be mentoring. It needs to be going both ways. And I find so many people don't seek out a mentor. They don't seek out somebody teaching them and pulling them up and showing them. I know in my 20s, I was so sure that I knew everything that I could be the teacher, you know, and that, you know, and my girlfriend's the same. We all hung out together. We were, (laughs) we knew everything and we weren't seeking that older woman in the Lord to, you know, give us that grace to grow up. So we, you know, got to learn things the hard way, you know, and, um, learn things, um, through pride falling, right? And so if you don't have a mentor, ask God, seek out someone that you trust that you can be um, praying with, that can you know, pour into your life, remind you um, in times that are hard, you know, where to be looking, that can you know, hold you accountable. Um, when I've been in um, marriage counseling years ago, that was one of the things that was required. You know, my husband and I both had to have a mentor. We both had to be in church. We both had to be in the word, you know. And I would tell you that is one of the greatest things we could have learned. Even though we were there under like cruddy circumstances, you know. <laughs> um, it was one of the greatest things we, were learned, we learned and we are able to pass on to other people when they go through these things. You know what? You don't need somebody else to stand over you and hold you accountable. You can hold yourself accountable in that, right? But when you have someone else that is saying, hey, you know, I haven't heard from you in a couple weeks. How you doing? You know, and are you doing that for somebody else? Are you being intentional in your mentoring, right? Um. You know, as a shepherd, just to kind of back it up just a little bit, you know, as a shepherd, Isaiah 40, verse 11, it talks about how God carries us and how 
um, he leads us and cares for us. And it says um, that he feeds us, he carries us, and he holds us close to his heart. If we look at that as an example of a shepherd, and we apply that to our own lives and the people that God has put in our path to minister to, are we holding them close to our heart? Are we helping carry their burden and holding them through hard times? Are we being that example to them so that they can mentor someone else in the future? Right. So we look to Jesus um, in all of that. Anyone have any thoughts on that part? Nope. Okay. Verse 6 says, <laughs> that's okay. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time. Do you have any idea what he's talking about here? Guys, you need to wait. He will exalt you at the proper time. Can you think of an example in scripture of who that might apply to? Uh, I, I'm talking about maybe a, a person in scripture that you could see where they were humbled for a time and then God lifted them up. Joseph. Joseph's one I was thinking of. Daniel is another one I was thinking of. Um, but they both um, were, and you know, you even said Jesus, right? Is that what you said? Yeah, you can even look at the life of Jesus and see there was times that they were humbled and it looked like maybe some dire straits, right? And then um, God exalted them in the proper time. Joseph is a great example of that as someone that is risen up to a high position, right? Daniel as well. Mary, exactly, sure. Um, yeah, yeah. Job, sure, yeah. So we can see, if you've known anyone in your life that has been humbled and then exalted later. Maybe someone falsely accused or, right? Um, I, I think that we could take a look at, again, not to be overly political, or um, whatever, but I'm looking at this, um, the postman in Pennsylvania, the whistleblower guy, have you heard about that? So he overheard a conversation from two of his supervisors at the post office, and they were saying, it was November 5th, and they were saying um, they, uh, that the things were supposed to be postmarked on the 3rd and one got postmarked on the 4th. And he only heard that bit of the conversation, but it was enough that he was standing there. He said, what? And then they looked at him and turned around and walked away. And so he got a hold of Project Veritas, which is a they fight for you kind of people. And he put a mic on and went into this 
meeting and they didn't know he had a mic. Two hours of him being just torn down with, um, you didn't hear what you really thought you heard. I, I mean, it, it was awful. It's on YouTube if you wanted to spend two hours listening to it. But, um, but somebody just on purpose and verbally saying, I am trying to scare you. I am trying to intimidate you. I am trying to mess you up. It is about psychology. And like, instead of somebody being able to have the integrity to say, I overheard this, and it may be an issue as a citizen. He's also a veteran, served four years in the Marines and five years in the Army Guard. Um, his dad's a cop. He, he's a postal worker. And instead of him having any credibility, they went in to do anything they could to tear down what he said. And then the media said he recanted. He never recanted. And so there's somebody that had he not been instructed by Project Veritas to put on a mic, somebody that tried to do the right thing be torn down, right? And in this case, I believe um, that he's being listened to, you know? And at least it's giving, given some proper attention whether he heard the right thing or not. And he was humble in that, saying, these are the words I heard. Could it have been out of context? Could I have heard wrong? Sure, and I will feel horrible about that. I just feel like I have to actually say I heard this, though, because I love my country, and everyone deserves a fair election, right? And so he wasn't even prideful, saying, I know what I heard, and I know what they did, and da 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 so um, I just use that as an example to say, you know what? There are times in our life that you and I and, and other people are going to go through things that um, someone's going to misunderstand you. Someone's going to treat you wrong. Um, and you're going to have to remain humble. You and I are going to have to remain humble. And whose vengeance is it? It's God's. Yeah, the vengeance is God's. And it might not be on this earth, right? Um, but I love how he goes right into verse 7 there, casting all your anxiety upon him because he cares for you. Because if I'm imagining I'm in a place where I have to use the word, I'm very humbled right now, <laughs> there's some different connotations to that, isn't there? I mean, we think of humble and we think, you know, like, I'm choosing to be meek in spirit and, and, and quiet in this. And then there's humbled as in, you know, you've been put in that place, right? And I'm thinking either place I'm in, if my spirit is low and I'm being falsely accused or um, I am dealing with suffering over things, that God is saying, all of those things that you're carrying around, you can give it to me because I care. I know I can feel alone in those times. Have you ever felt that way? Yeah. Even though my husband can be sitting there, you know, and I'm a, I am such a crybaby because I'll be like, 
I need a kiss. Aww. I need a hug. And he'll go, okay. Give me the kiss and the hug. <laughs> and I have to say, I need that. And um, because I'll feel alone, you know? And I'm, I, need, I need you to tell me I'm not alone right now. And, and I love that we just talked about God says he's that kind of shepherd. I pick you up and I carry you and I hold you close to my heart. And so God's saying, I'll get you a kiss on the forehead. I'll get you a hug. You're not alone. And when he's talking about this casting, it's another word like humble is. Where casting, we could say casting your care. Um, Care, I'm sorry, as well. We think of casting as in the, the casting in a net or casting a pole or, you know, and that word there is like to throw something out, right? Get rid of it. So I'm going to cast that care. I'm going to get rid of it. But there's some other, in Scripture, there's some other uh, meanings to that. Um, John 21, verse 6, do you remember um, when they're in the boat and Jesus tells them to throw the net out the right side? which was actually the wrong side and the wrong time of day. And yet the catch was so great, right? But it took faith for them to do what they knew was wrong in their understanding. It doesn't make sense, God. Why would I do it that way? Or why would I give it over that way? Or why would I, you know, do any of that? That same casting we see with the donkey, when they were taking their clothes and they were casting them onto the donkey or casting them onto the ground when Jesus was coming through. So a couple of things that we see through those different examples is regardless of whether or not it makes sense to us to give it away, to give up the anxiety, to give up the care, regardless of um, we feel like we need to hold on to it so that we feel some sort of control, Regardless of um, in the situation with the donkey, they had to take off the clothing in order to cast it, right? So there's something that has to come off and give it. You know, um, there's a scripture that talks about um, being able to heap onto Jesus or heap onto God's shoulders all of those cares, all those worries all those anxieties. So we take them off of ourselves. And that actually is in Psalm 55. And so you couple that then also with this throwing off. It's that we take it off of us and we throw it on him regardless of whether or not it makes sense in the moment. We get rid of it. I had a pastor once that told me um, when I was stressed out over some stuff, he says, I give myself 15 minutes a day. 15 minutes a day, I can try to solve the problem. If I haven't solved it in 15 minutes, I'm done. I can pick it up tomorrow for 15 minutes. And that has kind of sat with me in that it's, I don't use 15 minutes as a literal figurative number, but I will, if I know I'm holding on, holding on, holding on, I got to continually take it off, throw it, take it off, throw it, not staying here, not going to hang out in this pit, God, right? Um, Another time in my life, I just grabbed notebooks and I would write it out. Have you ever, any of you ever done that? And you're stressed, you just, I got to get it out of me, 
right? And then I didn't want anyone else reading them. I burned it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you don't want anyone reading your stuff. But, um, and but, but whatever it is, in whatever fashion that you need to cast it to God, whether it's writing or, or just prayer, what are some of the ways that you're able to cast anxiety on God? You write it and pray. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we dance for Jesus. Dance? Yeah. Praise. Yeah. It changes your... Totally. Totally changes you. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Anything else in, that you can think of? Not, uh, not venting, but sharing with someone to pray with you, right? I, I know I try to make it a practice that if someone calls me and they're upset and they're talking about something, I'll say, can we pray? You know what I'm saying? I try to keep that as a practice. Like, I, I don't want you to just vent to me because you're going to get off the phone with me and you're, you're still going to be stewing in it. But there's something every single time that when prayer enters, a peace comes, Right? And it's like, oh, thank you, I needed that. So let's talk about something else, you know? So that perspective. One of the things that Joseph did was run, didn't he? Well, maybe we need to run in an opposite direction sometimes, not stay, stay and hang out in the situation, right? Um, not see if it's going to get worse, not try to fix it, not... Just get away from it, you know? Um, and opening the word, you said, you know, we, we pray, but we also we're reading the word, right? Um, verse 10 says, And after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. So how do we get there? How does, how does that happen? Hmm? You believe him, yeah. What are kind of the steps that led up to that verse? What do we do in verse 6? Humble ourselves. Humble ourselves, right? Got to get humble. Cast your anxiety. Um, We got to submit. We got to be moldable, right? So... We get to this place where God allows us um, to kind of suffer a little bit. And because in that, he's going to use that to get our attention on him and, and do some work in us. And then he does the work in us, right? That's what it's telling us here. He himself will perfect. He will confirm. He will strengthen. He will establish. It's like sanctification when we talk about that. What is sanctification? They could become holy. But we don't become holy because we followed a book of rules. God does the work of sanctification. We just keep being moldable. We keep being humble. We keep coming to him and, and being teachable and, and being um, softened in our heart in that and then allowing God to do the work in us. 
He can't do the work in us if we refuse, right? He can't um, perfect us if we never want to come to him. But here's the thing. If we know Jesus, we're compelled to love him. We're compelled to want to have that relationship with him. Can we grieve the spirit? Yeah, scripture tells us we can grieve the spirit. And so that's why he's saying we need to humble ourselves. We need to remember where it is we're supposed to be running to and who's truly in control in the midst of this crazy time, right? And so he does the work. We just have to show up. He says to be, to him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. Um, nobody told me that I just skipped like two verses just now. that we'll back up and talk about the other guy right (laughs) Um, verse 8 be of sober spirit and be on the alert your adversary the devil prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour but resist him firm in your faith knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world so those two verses that I skipped over they're biggies aren't they Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, When we are not humble, when we are not casting our cares upon God, we are a mess. And Satan's in love with that. Right? Now, we get this idea that Satan has the same power that God does, and he does not. He cannot be everywhere all the time, just why he has this little dominion that roamed the earth and have you ever read the screw tape letters or heard of the screw tape letters? So the screw tape letters was written by C.S. Lewis. Remember that guy was saying he had no imagination. Um, <laughs> he, uh, he wrote it and um, basically it is one minion conversing with one over him on how to... Um, get in our heads, how to study us, and mess us up. And I wish I had it with me, but basically he's talking about stuff that would blow your mind you and I don't think about every day. But, you know, Scripture tells us that basically Satan studies us, right? The, the demons study us, and they say, you know what, um, I know that... If I mess with Kim's kids, that's where I, that's where we get strongholds, right? And so if we can do things to mess up in life, think of Job. You mentioned Job earlier. And Job was attacked in every way. And Satan had to go to God and ask permission to attack Job, right? And God gave him directives. You can go this far, but you have to stop here, etc. I believe it's the same for us, Okay. Is, is that um, Job lost a lot. He really did. And Satan and his Satan was doing everything he could to find out where he could attack Job so that Job would curse, would curse God and um, 
God was said, you won't find that, right? And so since the beginning, that is what he's done. He, he went to Eve and said, you know what? If I could mess up Eve and Adam in this area, right? And so he, he messed with them there. Each of us have areas in our life that when they get hit, it feels insurmountable, right? Likely, that's because Satan knows that too, <laughs> right? And so it, he's being very clear in saying, when you think you've got it all together on your own and you don't need me, or when you try to hold the burden and you try to hold the control and take care of things yourself, you're giving Satan all the ground he needs to just have a field day and devour you. He doesn't say nibble at your toe. He says devour you. Have you felt that way in your life ever that you just felt hopeless? That's what he wants to do. He wants you hopeless and to think that there's that God can't fix it, that God's not listening, all of those things, right? And so God's saying how important it is for you to be aware of that. And he's talked again. You know what? You're going to take off that same thing that's a burden, and you're going to throw it on Jesus, and you're going to put on that armor of God, right? Because First Peter talks about this, that it is, he is that roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And resisting him firm in your faith, knowing the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by brothers who are in the world. In other words, that's why we have ministry. It's, it's knowing that you're not the only one that has ever gone through this. And in, that is why we are supposed to be casting burdens, because there's that same word cast again. Those same burdens are supposed to be cast upon each other because we weren't meant to do it by ourselves. We were meant to hold each other's arms up the same that they held Moses' arms up. When we are in the midst of battle, we need people around us. We need other Christians. So to, when he goes on then in 11, to him be dominion forever and ever, amen. You know, because this, none of this is owned by Satan. He might have free reign here, but it is not owned by him. The one that has dominion is still Jesus Christ, right? Through Silvanus, who might just be Silas, they say, um, who was serving alongside of Peter, he might have been writing this, the actual handwriting it. Our faithful brother, for so I regard him, I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is in Babylon, and Babylon there is probably a code word for Rome because um, it was such a heated thing right now that trying to take heat off of the Christians that if he had written Rome, it might have gotten flagged and it might have caused more persecution for them. So Babylon was really probably a code word for Rome right there. Chosen together with you, sends you greetings and so does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love, which is that agape love. Peace be to you, all who are in Christ. Um, What do you think you could take out of this today and apply it to your life? What, what is kind of speaking to you?
to me, it's, it's to stay humble mm-hmm. and um, that there's other people that are undergoing the same kind of suffering. I think that's really important to remember because mm-hmm. I think a lot of times we can think it's just us mm-hmm. or I just think it's just me. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there's other people. And, and, and something that you said really resonated with me that we can have a ministry and we can mentor to all of our people, but that we really need somebody. Yeah. And that makes sense to me because we can give it all out. Yeah. But if we don't have a way to refuel. Exactly. To balance. Right. Right. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anyone else have any thoughts? The biggest one for me is just working together. Because, mm-hmm. you know, growing up, I mean, I thought, oh, nobody else felt like this. And, you know, then you get older and know the Lord more. And it's like, I think every other person has gone through something exactly the same or like it, you know. So it's kind of like yeah. being able to get, um, not opinions, but ideas or ways to, you know, get yeah. over something or even just prayer. That's huge. Right. 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 Absolutely. All right. Well, speaking of 